The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. We're back. I'm Joe Galena. Acknowledge me. And as always, I am joined by my man, Scott Chu. Acknowledge him as well. How's it going there, Scott? Doing fantastic. Like we were talking about before the show, I'm getting ready to do some curling today. Yeah. So uh, Actually, I may not curl much. I, I help. I help run the rookie league. So mm. I, I get to create excitement in new curlers. You're going to supervise the curling here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let them know like, hey, I'm not very good, but <laughs> I do well, know this. Isn't that always the case? And I'm sure you're better than what you're saying you are, but uh, it, it's that the the uh, the players that weren't that great make the best managers and coaches, right? Yeah. Like I know what you're supposed to do. I just can't execute. Right. right, right, (laughs) I I know the theory. Like I, Mm. I know the theory of hitting, right. Like how you do Mm -hmm. it, but I could not hit a 90 mile an hour slider with a thousand tries. Right. Right, Even if you told me it was middle, middle, I'll never hit it. Uh, Unless we're playing MLB, the show, right. It's a video game or whatnot, but maybe, maybe (laughs) if you give me a hundred, maybe. (laughs) So uh, we're recording this uh, episode on, October 30th, Halloween weekend, and uh, this is a big time uh, for one of your favorite shows, The Simpsons, right? Uh, The Treehouse of Horror. Like uh, Almost every year they come out with this awesome Halloween special. You looking forward to it? Do you watch those? So I used to watch them all the time, and I still watch a lot of the old ones. I'm a nostalgic guy that way. They started it in their second season uh, because their first season started on Christmas. So the second, you know, starting with the second season, uh, The Treehouse of Horror is often one of the first episodes in the... uh, in the season and it's one that even though the show itself is no longer my cup of tea the the treehouse of horror still usually has enough moments in it for me to feel like you know what that was a good use of 25 minutes right <laughs> yeah I, che- <laughs> I, I checked the guide right before we uh started this this broadcast so uh yeah it's a uh, treehouse of horror 33 and it's a new episode so yeah it's pretty cool that this show is still going on and i yeah, know that my- uh it's one of yeah, your the favorites. first one, first one's still one of my favorites because they have an epic reading of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, just like a part of it, by James Earl Jones as the narrator with Homer in the wow. whole. Like, it's it's amazing, and it's it's really good, especially because like it's held up mostly because the poem is also very old, but it's held up really well, and it's from God thirty years ago. 
Yeah, so, yeah. It's a lot of fun you, if, you, if you ever bringing up James Earl Jones it makes me depressed now because I, I think he's given up his gig as the voice of Darth Vader. But you know, I, I digress here. But Scott, there's some exciting news in your personal life. If you don't mind me just mentioning it, you're first of all, I didn't know. Like we've got to follow Scott on on Twitter uh, at If the Chew Fits. You can follow me at Joe Galina. Uh, Scott, you posted something about you, you have a twin brother. I do. I, I, I didn't brother. know that. We've been doing this show together. Uh, this is two full baseball seasons, and I didn't know you had a twin brother. Uh, is he an identical twin? Well, we look alike. I'm more handsome, of course, but I would have told you if I thought you might run into him to save you that awkward <laughs> moment at the grocery store <laughs> where you you're imagine? about to go talk to somebody and it's not them. <laughs> and, and speaking of twins, uh, you have some news, right? That yeah, you I am. I hate to use the word expecting. Because mm-hmm. you don't ever really, you don't ever expect it, but we mm-hmm. are having twins, uh, wow. doing, doing April, my wife and I. So, so that's really exciting. Um, it based on the genetic testing, it's most likely one boy and one girl, but we'll find out all that matters is that it's two healthy babies and we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> Congratulations. That's just awesome. Awesome news. Uh, so yeah, a lot of exciting things happening in your life. So uh, thanks for t- carving out a little time uh, to hang out with us this week. So uh, World Series going on there, Scott. Uh, they're tied, the Phillies and and the Astros. And we all knew that the Phillies would be in the in the World Series, right? Well, obviously, right? <laughs> Six seed, they got to they got to make it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's been a fun series. I mean, the first game was obviously sensational, right? The the comeback and everything going on. You know, when I'm watching the World Series, particularly from a fantasy perspective, because, you know, we're fantasy guys, uh, what I love seeing are things like, you know, even though overall the numbers aren't great, just seeing Nick Castellanos be more, almost more engaged. Yeah. Right? Like he still doesn't have a home run this postseason and obviously hitting only 13 in 136 games was, was not great. But just seeing him be reinvigorated, like some of the problems these players have are human and the having a, you know, having a, even making one play in the World Series can really change everything. You know, another guy, I, I know we'll talk about him more later. Another guy I've really been liking while I'm watching the World Series is Jeremy Pena. Yeah. He really struggled for a big chunk of the season right in the middle. Mm-hmm, once I got mm-hmm. hot, it seemed like he really started to struggle. But in the playoffs, he's really turned it on. And I love seeing him hit near the top of that lineup instead of being buried. This could mm. be, you know, a player. He's a player I'm very excited about as we go forward. And a yeah. guy who I think, you know, got almost pushed aside as like a, as like a you know one hit wonder, he came out, he was hot, and then he fizzled. And everyone's like, "Oh, it's over." No, Jeremy Pena is going to be going to be, I think, a really important part of that lineup for a while. Yeah, he uh, wreaked havoc on my Yankees, but I, I don't want to talk about that. But yeah, uh, so it's exciting, you know, watching the World Series and and having a team like the Phillies. You know, I, I'm rooting for them just because you know I, I love to root for the underdog, and obviously as a Yankee fan, uh, Astros are a lot better team than us, no doubt. I give them their credit, but, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Astros. So go Phillies, go Phillies, go Bryce Harper. Uh, I'm going to see Harper. Love, lead love seeing Phillies. him just look healthy. Yeah. Look like, I mean, just look like Bryce Harper. Again, that's another yeah. thing you can get out of the watch. I've, watching the world series is its own reward, but mm-hmm. if you're on, if you're on the fantasy side, seeing guys like Bryce, Bryce Harper be Bryce Harper in that moment mm-hmm. makes you feel mm-hmm. a lot better about going into next season than if right. this team had been eliminated earlier and you barely got to look at the guy. And look what Bregman's doing too, right? Alex Bregman too. He's having a big uh, postseason as well. So yeah, it's exciting to watch. And uh, day off today, uh, which we're recording on a Sunday, 
and game three is happening on on Halloween, October thirty first. And I was just looking, uh, World Series tickets uh, for game three as low as six hundred forty four dollars. So hey, you know, just a drop in a bucket, practically so, free. Yeah. So. Um, just a couple of quick hits here. Uh, Nolan Arenado, third baseman for the Cardinals, opted into the remaining portion of his five-year $144 million contract. He's going to remain a St. Louis Cardinal. Had a very good year. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, Cardinals did not uh, last into the postseason too long, but uh, good to see that uh, Nolan Arenado has found the home. And it kind of, you know, th- there's that, narrative that uh rocky players can't be as effective offensively once they leave course field but uh arenado has uh, laid those rumors to rest i mean absolutely we we talk about it every offseason we try to tell people like no they don't just turn into their away stats right that's what everyone wants to do nolan arenado's average came down because that's the one thing colorado really gives you is batting average that outfield is enormous and that ball flies so it, it's easy to get up batting average. Now this year, of course, he hit 293. That was great. Last year, he hit 255. It, you know, you call that, you know, whatever you want to call it, true talent or most likely it's probably somewhere between 260, 270. But again, 290 is in the mix for him. He's got that kind of hit tool. The, the most amazing thing to me about, uh, about uh, Nolan Arenado is not just like the dependability, right? He's played, he played, this was the fewest number of games he'd played in a full season, you know, not counting 2020. Uh, since 2014, he played 148 games. That mm. was his fewest since 2014. Also, since 2014, every full season, again, not counting 2020 because it was short, every full season, he has at least 100 RBI since 2015. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. just Matt, I mean, he's a guy that he, he almost comes off as boring and he's one of these guys, but he puts in the numbers at a position where it can be tough to find the numbers after the first couple guys that go off the board. Nolan, you know, Nolan Arenado going back to the Cardinals. You really like that. He's on a team that's always competitive. So they're always playing games late. They're always scoring runs. So, you know, really, really good fantasy news to see him stay there and have some stability with five more years. One of the hardest things about doing early rankings and these two early drafts is guys that are free agents. You don't know where they're going to go. Are they going to be the one that never signs until the day before the season starts? Are they going to be that kind of thing? So you love seeing guys like, all right, he's in a good spot in a good lineup for several more years. He and Paul Goldschmidt are still going to hit together for a while. He's under contract till 2027. I think like that's, it's nice to see. Yeah. And he was uh, a draft day bargain in preseason drafts and uh, ended up getting him in a few drafts and uh, very happy. He, you know, got a lot of bang uh, for the buck from where you were able to get him in last season's uh, drafts. And, so uh, we'll see. He's uh, actually the sixth third baseman being taken off the board in early preseason, early 2023 preseason drafts this year. So uh, getting some respect. So um, also another just a quick hit of uh, news. J.D. Martinez not expected to be given a qualifying offer. Uh, from the Red Sox, they'd have to pay him just under $20 million, and he really had a, a subpar season, so you really don't blame the, the Red Sox. No, I mean, it was, he's had a couple, you know, we remember in 2020 as well, he had an off season, you know, a bit off then. You know, there was some, you know, there were some reasons for that, and he did rebound in 2021. There's no reason for me to think that there's not still a very good hitter here. I mean, he still hit 274. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem were simply like the home, the quality of contact wasn't as high as we've seen in the past, particularly on the power side. 
right? So that's kind of where the issue was. Uh, he's going to be a guy that's, I don't want to call him like a draft day bargain because he is a utility only in every format. He did not play mm. a single inning in the outfield this year. Uh, it's He's really going to be a guy who in these early drafts is going to get pushed way down because we don't know where he'll go. And he's the type of player that could sit around in free agency forever, right? right because right. it's the last thing teams, a lot of teams think about is who am I going to grab, you know, as you know, do we need another hitter, right? He's the guy who someone's going to get hurt. Some corner outfielder or something is going to get hurt. So a DH spot's going to open up and they're going to go get him. Right. Uh, I, we mm-hmm. also do know that he, um, he played through a bit of an injury this year from time to time, just more like aches and pains and things like that. So Maybe that's some of the reason the power goes away, but there should still be a high batting average, decent power guy here. Even if the 30 home runs are gone, it's just going to be a matter of whose lineup does he get to do that in, right? right That'll right. be the big thing. Cause if he's on a team that's not really a contender and he's just trying to, you know, he's doing a one year contract to reinvent himself. That mm-hmm. could be tough for his fantasy value because counting stats are a big part of it. He's not going to steal any bases, right? Nope. And he, you have to park him in the utility spot. So Hopefully he can be on a team where he can drive in some runners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a guy you know that you expect you know thirty home runs from that, and that's his you know and and a good batting average. That's what he's, uh, you know, that's what you've come to expect from him. But uh, so as we move on and move on from the twenty twenty two season, uh, basically it was it was another season with uh, down offense right when you look at uh uh last season 395 league slug and a 243 batting average for the 2022 season and 2021 also very similar had a, a 411 slug and just to give you a comparison 2019 widely recognized as the year of the rabbit ball right league slug of 435 batting average of 252 so there was a continuing problem with uh, offense kind of lagging and uh, 21 players had at least 30 home runs last season and in 2021 40 players had at least 30 home runs. So uh, we had talked about this in previous episodes where new rule changes are coming up for the 2023 season uh, designed to help uh, prop up overall offense. But other than that, I got to tell you, I don't remember, Scott, another season where we had as many rookies hit the ground running and made an impact not only from just baseball in general but fantasy impact as quickly as they did this season we're going to talk about a bunch of them uh this year but any impressions lasting impressions from the 2022 season that you'd like to share i mean the first thing is that i want to get people away from you know we talk about these slugging numbers they are down right it is harder to find these 30 home run guys there's there's not a jay bruce sitting on your waiver wire all year to help you prop up your uh, power for a little while. It, you're forced to sort of ride hot hands, find more opportunistic ways to find that power. But although the slugging was down, one thing I did find rather noteworthy is that stolen bases were way up, right? Mm. Uh, in 2019, we saw 2,280. In 2021, we saw 2,213. Here in 2022, 2,487. Right. Uh, that's pretty close to what we were seeing back in like 2015, 2016, 2017. Right. Which is also weird because we don't see this number of like 60, 70, 80 home run guys. Right. We, I don't even know if we had any 40 stolen base guys this year. 
right? What we're seeing is stolen bases sort of spread out across the league. Now, there are more sources of stolen bases, even if they're not the Billy Hamilton type. We are mm. seeing more players steal bases. So I think one thing we're going to have to start doing as we as we do rankings, as we make like player raiders and things like that, you start to swing the stolen, you know, stolen bases have been an extreme. They're always a premium. They are an extreme pre- premium right now. And I think we're going to see that kind of shift shift away a little bit, especially when you also compare it to, you know, batting average was down 243. It's been going down every year. That's mm-hmm. the thing that'll change with the shift. So I do wonder if the league batting average and therefore the batting average, a lot of fancy players, not all of them, but you may see this shift up 10, 20 points, right? It's going to be really focused on left-handed pull hitters who hit a lot of ground balls because the one thing the shift won't do is change slugging, right? Because the shift right. is not designed to take away doubles, triples, and home runs. It's designed mm-hmm. to take away singles, right? It's designed to force the player to hit something up in the air. And when you're taking away the shift, which I think teams are going to find a way to effectively shift to an extent, right? They are not going to play Joey Gallo straight up. That's not the way this is going to work, right? right? Teams are already thinking about ways to make a type of shift, right? Because the rule does not say you can never have your uh, shortstop go to the other side of second base. It just says, you can't be there when the pitcher starts his motion, right? So we may see these teams do a little like arena football shift as the pitcher's winding up. You may see just like this shift to the right or something like that. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But the stolen bases being up, I think, is a big deal. And I think that we need to start maybe pulling down a little bit of weight on the stolen bases, especially in like the middle of the draft. This doesn't impact like Trey Turner. But when we start talking about some of the middle guys that, you know, Miles Straw was a big draft target back in 2021 and in drafts for 2022 because like, oh, it's it's a rabbit. But you don't need that as much anymore, especially when you know that the floor of those players is so low. There's more right. stolen bases out there. You don't need to have that kind of strategy. Right. Uh, John Birdie actually led baseball with 41 stolen bases. So there That's was right. One, and he played yeah. like 100 games. Yeah, 102 <laughs> games. Yeah, he uh, missed a bunch of time on the IL. Uh, Jorge Mateo from the Orioles had 35. Uh, Mullins next with 34. Um, Tommy Edmond with 32. Randy Arena with 32 as well, and Bobby Witt Jr. with 30. Those are your top six, and those are 30 and, and up in terms of stolen base. But that's an interesting uh, observation on your part. Um, and then I'm looking at the list here of Ronald Acuna. We were worried about whether he was going to be running anymore because he was coming off that knee injury, right? But 119 games had 29 stolen bases. But that's going to be interesting to note. And you wonder where a guy like a, a John Birdie, who really doesn't give you much other than the stolen bases, is going to go in, in, in drafts this season. Yeah, he's tough just because he's not that good of a hitter, right? He right. really is a stolen base guy who has position, mm-hmm. you know, his position eligibility in fantasy is really useful. But mm-hmm. he doesn't play a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. So especially in leagues that don't allow an IL, like NFBC being the most famous, he's really hard to roster in those formats mm-hmm. because he spends a lot of time just I mean, he's hurt every year. So yeah. you know, the other thing that's interesting is like John Birdie had more steals than the twins as a team. <laughs> right. So that's the other yeah. thing with stolen bases is that they're very situational and team based. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you look at the top teams, like Texas had 128. Miami, 122. Cleveland, 119. But then you look at the bottom of the list, Detroit had 47, hmm. right? Colorado had 45. Minnesota had 38, right? Hmm. So, like, that's the other thing with stolen bases is you have to remember they're really, like, team-specific, right? right? But 
you see, you will see these big things about like, just what team are you on? That Mm -hmm. matters a lot in terms of steals. Miami players get to run. Texas Rangers get to run because they don't hit that well. Well, you wonder if Miami players are going to run this season. They got a new manager, right? No more. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big deal too. And it also matters Mm -hmm. how well your team hits, right? Like Mm -hmm. most, the, none of the top four teams in terms of overall offense were in, had a 100 WRC plus because Mm -hmm. they needed to run, right? That's just how they scored. Their slugging was like, as a team was all less than 400 for Mm -hmm. each of the top four teams that had more than 110 stolen bases. They didn't slug that well. They didn't score with power, right? But right. you know, the Yankees did have a considerable number of stolen bases considering they hit so many home runs, but yeah, yeah. like they were never going to lead the league in stolen bases because like they hit a bunch of home runs. They don't need to run from first to second because when Aaron Judge is up, he's going to bring everyone home. You can yeah. jog. Right. Yeah, and Judge actually had 16 stolen bases himself, but you're right when you when you have a team like that that relies on the home run to score a bunch of their runs. Uh, if you get thrown out trying to steal a base, that just kind of, you know, throws a, a monkey wrench into your offensive plan. But so you're right. It's, it's situational and goes uh, by the makeup of your, of your team. So uh, good observation on your part, but uh, let's dive into some of these rookie players who really made an impact. And there were a couple teams uh, that had multiple uh, players that uh, they called up that made a, a fantasy impact. And we'll start with the Royals and Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt, uh, shortstop and third base eligible. And I'll tell you, there are drafts going on now, Scott, that you, of course, you know, uh, in the NFBC. And when I looked at ADP, I was shocked that Bobby Witt has an ADP of eight overall. Uh, min max of four and 17. Uh, so, I mean, had a very good season, uh, played 150 games, 20 home runs, 30 stolen bases uh, per baseball savant. He's in the hundredth percentile in sprint speed, which doesn't get any better than that. Um, it seems like it took him about 50 games or so to get really acclimated to big league pitching. Uh, you've got me checking these rolling charts there, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> so I was looking at, at just a, a, right about, you know, game 50, game 55 or so. Uh, that's when his Woba started taking off and his strikeouts steadily declined. But uh, I was a little surprised. I mean, don't get me wrong. Great player, but eighth overall, a little bit of a shock to me. Uh, well, the, this is the thing about the NFBC that makes it difficult to always translate into a league like Yahoo, right? Where if you're in Yahoo or ESPN and you're playing head-to-head points or you're playing head-to-head categories, the value of Bobby Witt's stolen bases comes down quite a bit. But in a league like the NFBC where you don't have an IL, you have a short bench, you have big, big rosters, right? Five outfielders, middle infield, corner infield, uh, and you have 15 players in your league and you're competing for an overall, a guy like Bobby Witt who can play third, short, middle infield and corner infield, a guy who stole 30 bases, hit 20 home runs in his rookie year. It's going to be easy for people to look at that rolling chart and really project forward. Like, oh, maybe he hits better. Um, you know, he he actually didn't finish in the top 20 despite being a 20-30 player this season. Um he, I was very surprised. He was one of the players. And I talked about this in, in the short little episode I posted, uh, last time we were up, I was surprised that he didn't rank higher than he did. Uh, but he finishes the 24th best hitter despite the 20 home runs and 30 steals. Part of that is because stolen bases were more spread out. Teams were able to get fancy teams were able to get more of them and 20 mm-hmm. home runs 
you know, I probably project him closer to 25, 25 next season. And I think the batting average can be a little better, like 260 ish. Right. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in the NFBC, people are going to shoot their shot. And if you want to make sure you get Bobby Witt Jr., you have to do it in the first round. But if you look at my rankings, you also know I'll never end up with him. I rank him 29th because I worry a little bit about the versatility and the fact that I'm ranking for Yahoo style leagues and ESPN style leagues that don't have as deep of rosters that you're not playing for an overall, which means those stolen bases don't matter as much. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, 29 is bad. I've, I've got him ranked up there, you know, just a little bit behind Alex Bregman, right? A little bit behind Adolis Garcia, who I think is more of a lock to give you the the high end power and speed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I've got him just ahead of like Corey Seager. So, though, I mean, it's not like I, I don't like him. It's just a matter of in the NFBC, his ADP is going to be really, really high. I probably, you know, as long as it's a first round player, it's going to be hard for me to end up with him unless I'm at the wheel. Right, right. I'm a little surprised that Adolis Garcia has remained fantasy viable. Like when he first came up, and I know I'm digressing a little bit, but you mentioned them. So, I mean, when he first came up, we said, you know, guys is going to strike out a ton of time, and he does. But you know, the the power speed combo and his ability to hit just about, you know, he hit 250 last season does uh, help him to maintain some fantasy value. But uh, it just you know, well, just not just heavy. some, yeah. right? I mean, he's yeah. 27 home runs, 25 stolen bases. The biggest difference for, between like him and Bobby Witt also is team context. The Rangers yeah. aren't that good, but at least he had Corey Seager and Marcus Semien ahead of him. That helps him get 88 runs, 101 RBI. Bobby Witt Jr. just isn't able to generate that kind of counting number right now mm-hmm. because the Royals are so bad that that also really does impact. When you start getting near the top of the rankings, Players, you know, there's a couple players that just stand way out at the top. But then when you're looking between like 10 and 30, not much differentiates these players, right? I mean, it's like a little bit of batting average here. But one big thing that does differentiate them is runs and RBI, which are very hard to control for. You really have to just focus on team circumstance and where does he hit in the lineup, right? Mm-hmm. Adolis Garcia hits in the middle of a lineup at, with the team that while overall their offense is bad, the top of the lineup is really good. Right. right. Marcus Semien, Corey Seager and Adolis Garcia are are very good, especially after the first month of the season when, you know, Marcus Semien couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden he became a very good hitter. Yeah. Like, that One of the things I like about Adolis Garcia is, number one, the strikeout rate did come down. It's mm-hmm. under 30 percent now. I'm not that worried about it anymore. Yes, this is not a long term type of player. Right. In Dynasty, you do have to drag him down a bit because this profile does not last that long. Mm-hmm. He's very aggressive. It's very Javi Baez style. Uh, back in his prime, swinging at everything, but when he hits it with a bat, it goes a very long way. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a weird guy because his strikeout rate dropped a ton, and it did not help his numbers. But <laughs> because the yes. bat, you know, because the bat speed and everything, it's not, it's just not quite as good as it was. But with Adolis Garcia, you're not betting on if he can do this when he's 33. You're betting mm-hmm. on if he can do this next year. Right. I think there's a very good chance that Adolis Garcia puts up another 25, 25 plus season. Mm-hmm. Right, we've seen him hit as many as 31 home runs. He did that in 2021. Right, and you know, so if he's a, you know, if you kind of average it out, he's like a 30, 20 guy and those mm-hmm. 30 home runs, that, that 10 more home runs than Bobby Witt jr. For example, is a lot more valuable to me than those 10 stolen bases that Bobby Witt has on him. Cause those home runs mean more counting stats. A home run goes towards your batting average, your run scored, your home runs and your RBI, a stolen base only counts for stolen bases. It doesn't improve your batting average and only sometimes will it lead to additional runs scored. Because you're going, you know, now you're on second instead of first. But Bobby Witt's so dang fast that that double was going to bring him around anyway. 
right? <laughs> right? So uh, it, it's one of the reasons I actually, I do rank Adolis Garcia higher than Bobby Witt Jr. And that may change as more projections come out. This is hard to do without uh, some of those fancy projection systems because mine is not nearly as good, but it's, it's fancy. Yeah. It, I'm, but it is one of those things where it's like that extra power can be a lot more valuable, especially in like a category style league instead of this NFBC league where you're playing also for the overall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So sticking with the Royals, uh, you know, I think they're uh, going to get better. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Vinny Pasquantino, uh, my paisan, the Italian nightmare, as he's referred to by George Brett, uh, sixth first baseman coming off the board in NFBC drafts, uh, 72 games, batted 295 with a 383 OBP and a 450 slug. Uh, 10 home runs and 26 RBI again. Um, like you said, that that's a tough lineup to drive some runs in this season. But one thing that you, this guy, 11.7 walk rate last season and just an 11.4 K rate last season had an 86% contact rate. League average is 76%. So uh, I, I, I think I'm going to be targeting this guy, uh, you know, if I wait on first base, and yeah, I might not, I, I, probably, you know, like I said, he's going sixth at the position. I may not, you know, get him if I'm waiting. Yeah. So again, I actually did my rankings before you could get any ADP data from NFBC and that was fine. Actually, I was, I was very happy to do that, but so I rank Vinny Pasquantino 51st overall. And mm-hmm. I, I could drive him up more, but the one thing that concerned me about Vinny Pasquantino, certainly not the hit tool. I mean, fantastic. You see, his his OBP just really started climbing. It struggled a little bit. The plate discipline was always fantastic. He never was striking out. He was always getting his walks. He forced pitchers to throw him strikes uh, if they wanted to get him out. But over and over the season, the OBP starts going up. If you look at the rolling chart, he ends the season with a fifth, like the last couple of games, his 15 game OBP was 500. Right. Like he kept this, this OBP, it was above 400 for like the whole last two weeks of the season, his 15 game rolling OBP. It was fantastic. What changed though, was the slugging. Now it did start coming back, but the split between his slugging and his OBP was only about 50 points. What that's telling you is, yeah, it's a great slug because it's 454, right? Or I'm sorry, 440, 555, 545. He has a 545 slug at the end of the season, but that OBP is 492. That small gap between them is telling you that a lot of that slugging is driven by walks and singles, hmm. right? Hmm. Because your your slug isn't really, I mean, it can be lower than your OBP, but it's it's kind of hard to do that over an extended period of time. It means you're hitting a lot of singles and walking a lot and doing basically nothing else. But I think the power can come back, but Kauffman Stadium is a hard place to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. And he's there's still that you know, there's still that he showed that he had the power. He had a big spike early in the season. Then he got hurt. He came back. Uh, I just want to see that extra base power back. I think it's going to be there, but Mm -hmm. I still have to, I'm still projecting for it. I'm not, I don't have it right now. So because I'm doing that, I I bring him down just a little bit. So I ranked him. I ranked three guys in the top 200, two early rankings, which is, you know, I wouldn't bring it. You know, I wouldn't save it for your drafts that are in March, right? These rankings are going to change a lot, but Mm -hmm. I rank, I ranked, Nate Lowe, Vinny Pasquantino, and Jose Abreu right next to each other. And the reason that I couldn't bring them above, right, where Matt Olson's a little bit above that, because I know there's a lot of power there, and I think that he's going to be a lot better than he was. 
I want to put Pasquantino up there, but I just need to see the power first. A lot can change in spring training. If he looks like he's raking, I know spring training stats don't matter, but I'm looking for a very specific thing from Vinny P and it's power. It's extra base power a lot while he keeps the OBP, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we'll keep the plate discipline. He keeps the, if he keeps the OBP and then also just adds not even much slugging, just some more doubles, couple more home runs. This is a, you know, this is a top end player instead of more of like a middle of the pack first baseman. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So would you have him overall? You had, I think was it was a one twelve you said or something. Uh, no, 51. Oh, 51. Hitters. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. His overall ADP, uh, according to NFBC is 94, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, like you said, we'll see if he could uh, tack on some additional power. That that's really uh, he's known as a power hitter uh, when he was in uh, the minor leagues. But we'll we'll see what happens. The third uh, royal I want to talk about today, uh, MJ Melendez, um, got called up. Uh, Sal Perez missed a, a chunk of last season. He got hurt. Uh, so, uh, but Melendez got his bat in there at catcher and also outfielder. So he's outfielder catcher eligible uh raw power but the one thing i noticed was last season he couldn't hit righties and isn't the most of the world uh right-handed you know i mean batted 193 with a 299 obp in 120 games versus right-handed pitching uh overall had 18 home runs and 129 games and a 217 uh batting average especially bad against off-speed and breaking stuff. But look, that's, you know, a lot, that's a lot of rookies are. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of rookies uh, have that issue. Uh, but uh, not being able to hit right-handed pitching, that could be an issue. Yeah, especially because he's a left-hander, right? Mm. So I, I have I have some hope that that turns around. Now, this is not a, like, plus hit tool kind of guy. He is a plus power, but the hit tool is not great. Right. What I here's what the but the two well really three things I really like about MJ Melendez is that there is power there. Right. This is a catcher who can hit twenty home runs. He also doesn't just catch. Right. He actually plays left field for them quite a bit, which means yep. he plays. Volume is big when you're looking mm-hmm. at catcher. I know that in NFBC drafts that pushes him way up because that's a two catcher. Sure. Right. Yep. So that really puts him in a premium there. The other thing I really really like about him isn't something he actually does. It's the fact that he leads off. It's more volume. It's so much volume. I mean, I love it when a catcher hits in the middle of the lineup as well, but a catcher leading off means plate appearances. Getting plate appearances matter because a lot of catchers don't, right? They bat, even like a decent one still bats like sixth or seventh, right? And they don't play every day. Mm-hmm. But Melendez gets to DH. He gets, you know, he plays every single day, not unlike his battery mate, well, his fellow catcher, Sal Perez, right? These guys play every day. That's mm-hmm. a big deal for catching, especially when you're looking at like projections and how the projections will rank them. They'll put them up because one replacement value at catcher is low, not as low as it was. I think the catching class is getting much, much better, which makes Melendez for me. Like he's not in my, uh, you know, he's not in my top 10. I think, well, he might be at the back end of the top 10 at catcher, but uh, you know, he's, he's a very heavy volume play. Deeper leagues will value him a lot more, but again, that leading off he's playing constantly right? Mm-hmm. This speed was kind of weird. Like he stole two, he got caught twice. This is just in the second half. I did like the second half. Uh, what I really liked in the second half also was just the plate discipline. 12.7% walk rate, 24.7% strikeout rate. The reason I'm using second half is one, because it's an easy number to use. Number two, that's about when he started leading off every day. Mm-hmm. So I like seeing that he's got a nice disciplined approach there. He could stay up there, 
right? Whit Merrifield is gone. It's just kind of him and Bobby Witt fighting to be at the top of that lineup unless Alberto Mondesi is healthy, which, I mean, let's be real, right? That's a huge if. That is a multiple, in the book, that's multiple pages. Who? <laughs> What's the last time you right? played? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Melendez, uh, like you said, very valuable in NFBC leagues because they use two catchers. So eighth catcher coming off of uh, early, very early preseason drafts. But if we want to stay uh, at the catcher position, why don't we talk about Adley Rushman, uh, Baltimore Oriole uh, catcher. Seems like we were waiting forever for him to be called up, and uh, Orioles were patient with him. And look, the Orioles are an exciting team. Uh, they uh, finally uh, had a, a winning record after so many uh, futile seasons <laughs> in the AL East. Uh, but you look at Rushman. Rushman, uh, fifth catch coming off the board in NFBC drafts. Uh, overall, 113 games played, 13 home runs, 42 RBI, 4 stolen bases, batted 254 with a 362 OBP. Uh, last 77 games uh, really cranked it up. That's where he hit 10 of his 13 home runs and uh, drove in 32 of his 42 RBI. Walked uh, almost 17% of the time, had a 201 ISO and a 154 WRC plus in those last games. Uh, plate discipline really improved over the course of the season there, Scott. Stop yeah, swinging um, so, stuff outside the strike zone too. Yeah, so war isn't a fantasy stat, but I, I want to use it for a second because it's really fun. Number one in war for the second half, for the second half by a wide margin, Aaron mm. Judge. Duh, right? Hit twenty nine home runs in the second half. Do you know who number two was? Hint, Rushman. We're just talking about Adley <laughs> Rushman. Adley I Rushman right. is number number two in war. Over the second half, just above JT Realmuto. Now he does add a lot with his defense, but he also hit 275 with a 399 OBP and a 462 slug. This is a catcher. A mm-hmm. catcher. Mm-hmm. Right? 45 runs scored, right? At catcher. That's the same number of runs scored as like Michael Harris, right? Mm. It's the same number of runs scored as Pete Alonzo. Manny Machado had 44 runs scored in the second half, right? Adley Rutschman is a monster. The power wasn't quite where you wanted it to be. But again, second half, he hits eight home runs. He steals three bases, right? A 16.7% walk rate in the second half. Yeah. yeah like yeah. That, that's, that's insanely high. There were two players in the second half with a higher walk rate than Adley Rutschman. Do you know who they were? Aaron who? Judge and Juan Soto, <laughs> right? <laughs> the guy they wouldn't pitch to and the guy that has walks even when he slumps. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's wild to me. Like he was just constantly walking the, I, I love everything I saw about the way Adley Rutschman grew throughout the season. He really yeah. started to level out. I don't even care if he becomes like a 25 to 30 home run hitter, which he can be. I think uh, he definitely has that kind of pop to hit 25 home runs, but those numbers you see, like it's going to look sort of unimpressive. Like, Oh, just two fifty four, three sixty two, four forty five. You have to remember he slumped pretty hard when he first got up. Mm. Right. Then he takes off. Six, the sixth catcher to me, like that's, I have him with, I, I have, you know, I've got my, my top catchers and it's real Mudo, Adley Rutschman, Will Smith. I rank them right next to each other. 43, 44, 45. That's going to be a little potentially lower than you'll see a guy like JT real Mudo in NFBC. Cause again, that's a two catcher format. So getting a good catcher really matters in a single catcher league. I still consider Adley Rutschman a very, very good player to draft with JT Romuto and Will Smith for next season, right? Mm-hmm. I rank him just above some other guys we're going to talk about later. I rank him above Vinny Pasquantino, 
right? Because they both have really, really good plate discipline. Adley Rutschman has similar power, I think, uh, maybe a little less, but also he's a catcher, right? Mm-hmm. Like that matters. And, you know, I rank him just above guys like O'Neill Cruz because I just think the floor with Adley Rushman is so safe. It's elite safe at catcher. He's part of the reason I think that catcher is no longer the premium it used to be. You will no longer see in single catcher leagues someone reaching for JT Romuto in the th- in the third. You don't need to do that anymore because there's two other catchers that I would feel are just as good, right? right. I place them right in the same tier. I, you know, in, in a perfect world, I draft the last of those top three that are around if I want a top catcher. Real Muto, Rushman, Will Smith, whichever one lasts the longest. After two of them are gone, I'll take the third one, right? Because I think I'm still going to have potentially the best catcher in my fantasy league, right? And I can take that advantage. I love so much about what he did in his rookie season. And I think anyone that, you know, sixth to me in NFBC, if you're going to draft Bobby Witt, eighth overall or whatever, right? How are you not taking a chance on Adley Rutschman who might have the safest floor among catchers, right? Mm. I think that hit tool is that good. Let's talk about a guy that we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, Jeremy Pena, shortstop for the Astros. I'm a little surprised. I'm I'm looking at NFBC drafts, and I know shortstop is a real deep position. But I'm, you know, uh, looking from October 1st on, and like I said, we're recording this on the 30th. Jeremy Pena is the 21st shortstop taken off the board. And I get it. This, like I said, tons of talent here uh, at the shortstop position, but uh, ended up being, uh, of course. Carlos Correa's replacement and if you watch any of the postseason coverage it was interesting where that some of the announcers were talking about how Correa kind of took Pena uh, under his wing when it was Correa's last spring with the Astros and kind of said look you know just in case I'm not here kind of showed him the ropes and whatnot but uh, like you you mentioned earlier slumped in middle of the season July and August batted 218 uh, rebounded in September, and, the, and when it counts, obviously came up big in the in the playoffs. Forty one percent O swing rate. That's swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. League average of thirty two point six. So that could be a, a little bit of an issue going forward. But twenty two home runs and eleven stolen bases. Good foundation from which to work from. <laughs> there, Scott. Yeah, that those are the numbers after he had like a two month slump, which yeah. I don't think he does again. So number one. Shortstop isn't just deep. It's insanely deep. He's the 21st shortstop going off the board, but that's still the 73rd best hitter, right? And that's like ADP of 130, mm. right? Like that is very draft. That That is how many shortstops are just at the top of this league, right? Like that's insane. He's only two spots behind like in terms of shortstop rankings. He's only two spots in the NFBC behind Carlos Correa, right? Mm-hmm. Like Gunnar Henderson didn't make the top 15. Number 15 is Xander Bogarts. Right. Who had like a little bit of a down year in power, but was still very good. Right. right. Dansby Swanson is 10th and he was like the second best shortstop at fantasy this year. Right. Like now there's reasons for that. Like Dansby Swanson is unlikely to hit second again all season because Ozzie Albies will be back. And that's if Swanson goes back to Atlanta and all these things. But I'm going to end up with a lot of Jeremy Pena. In fact, I thought I was worried that I was too high on him at 103. And so now I know I can bump him up to kind of where <laughs> I wanted him, which right. is probably closer to like 65 to 70. Right. But I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I feel like I'm a little biased here. I should move him down. I wish I would have just gone with my gut and moved him up higher. Right. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I'll probably rank him. Like if I had to redo it, I'd rank him somewhere in tier eight. That's 68 to 76. That's also where I have Gunnar Henderson. Trust right? your instincts there, Scott. 
I know, right? Like, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Like, move him up. I love the adjustments he made, and I think that's what we saw, right? I, didn't, I don't think we just saw a guy getting hot because he kept it in the playoffs when the best pitchers are against him, right? What mm-hmm. I think we saw are adjustments. What I think we saw are him finding ways to make better quality of contact because he never was striking out this huge percentage, right? But the quality of the contact wasn't there for a while. That's where the slumps came from. And I like seeing that because on one hand, he's chasing, but he was making contact, yeah. Right? But that's also going to lead to a low batting average and little power. It is hard to hit home runs outside of the strike zone because it's hard mm-hmm. to hit home runs. Yes. Right. It's even harder. Why make it even going, harder on yourself? Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> it's even harder to go outside of the strike zone. The guys that can do that are like Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. They can mm-hmm. go dig one just, you know, three inches off the ground and send it into the grandstands. Right. Mm-hmm. There's very few players that can do that. He was trying to do that. Um, I think he's found ways to uh, control the strike zone a little better. I think that he's getting better at, you know, taking what he can get from a certain pitch. If he decides I'm going to swing at this and then starts to realize maybe it's a little outside, he's not trying to crush that thing. He's all right, well, I'll try to flip that, right? I'll try to put that over the first baseman or something like that. I think we saw a lot of those adjustments. So I'm very excited for what he can be next year. I'm going to be drafting him all over the place because mm-hmm. shortstop, shortstop's insanely deep. And I think you're going to have to look at it one of two ways. You're either going to have to say, I need to get the elite shortstops, which is where you're going to see people drafting early with, you know, obviously Trey Turner. I think he's going to be the most common number one pick this season. I don't think he's ever, we see that his max pick right now, is only nine drafts in FBC, but his max pick is two, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's the kind of guy he's going to be. Then there's going to be this tier, this like Bobby Witt Jr., Boba Chet, and then sort of on the same, you know, wavelength is Francisco Lindor, right? Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who should only miss, you know, less than a month because his team made it a bit into the playoffs and that impacted his suspension, right? Mm. Uh, you're going to see like Marcus Simeon, and then it starts to get a little scarier, right? Like after Marcus Simeon comes off the board, you he got Jazz. Jazz- wait, wait, he, he gets credit for the games that the Padres played in the playoffs. Yeah, it's not uh, yep. regular season games. Wow. Okay. Nope. Nope, he'll he'll come back earlier because his his suspension, you know, his suspensions just worked out that way. So. Yeah. And he's not appealing, right? That's one of the big differences between like him and Trevor Bauer. Like while, mm-hmm. while he's in appeals, the, the thing freezes, right? right? They don't count your days while you're appealing. So, uh, you know, for him, but once you get past that, like sixth one who goes in the top 50 picks, six shortstops are gone, right? After that, you're looking at guys who are either injured, like Jazzism, Jazz Chisholm Jr. or Tim Anderson. You're looking at guys who either had a really off year or a really on year, like Trevor mm. Story and Dansby Swanson. You've got guys that you're projecting forward, like O'Neill Cruz and Wander Franco. And then you're going to see this nice sweet spot, right? I think you're going to see guys like Corey Seager, who's going 13th, right? I think Look he's much better than that. Willie Adonis, mm-hmm. 18th, right? Now, when you're in it, in you know, in leagues like ESPN, even these these numbers will stay kind of up because you've got a middle infield slot to, to fill. But when you're talking about Yahoo leagues where you just have shortstop and then two utility spots, one of the one of these guys is going to fall a long way. Mm-hmm. Willie Adamas, Jeremy Pena, Ahmed Rosario had a surprisingly good year, especially because he does that batting average. Carlos Correa, Glaber Torres had a decent year. Eugenio Suarez, these guys are going to push get pushed way 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 down in your draft because people aren't going to need that position anymore. Mm-hmm. So now they're like, oh, I don't want to just take this guy to sit on my bench. There's going to be great value at shortstop. So you either you really need to decide: Do I want to attack the top end at shortstop, or do I want to attack the back end at shortstop? I'm going to right. probably be looking a lot in my mocks at the back end of shortstop, just so I can see what kind of team I can build. Because if I can get Jeremy Pena to be a 20 to 25 home run, 10 to 15 stolen base guy with a decent batting average, like how is that really that much different from how I'm going to project a Dansby Swanson? Mm-hmm. 
right? It's not. That's the guy I want Swanson to be too, right? But I can get him, you know, so many picks later, right? Like 50 something picks later. So that's going to be a big deal. I'm really interested to see how that plays out even in the early draft season. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, some of these players that slumped like uh, Jorge Polanco, the 23rd shortstop going off, he really slumped. And uh, I know firsthand because I had him uh, on one of my teams, but Javier Baez and, uh, you know, there's, there's a potential uh, for some real value late at shortstop, but getting uh, Jeremy Pena, like you said, as the 21st shortstop or as deep as he's going uh, could really be <laughs> a windfall for you. So I mean, Pena finished thirteenth among mm. shortstops this year, and mm. now he's going twenty second. Yeah. yeah. Why? Mm. <laughs> he slumped half the time, and he finished thirteenth. Yeah, I'll yeah. take him all day. Took two months off. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some Braves players, and, and Braves, one of the best teams of you know bringing up their homegrown talent and having them uh, be productive, like right off the bat, like Michael Harris. The second um, favorite to win the NL Rookie of the Year, ADP of 30, min-max of 20 and 48, uh, 114 games, 19 home runs, 20 stolen bases, had a 297 batting average with an 853 OPS, 95th percentile in sprint speed. Uh, had some issues against left-handed pitching, uh, batted 323 against right-handers and 238 against left-handers. Uh, again, uh, like some young players do, had a high O swing rate, 42%. Uh, but you got to love his uh, power and speed combo uh, and five-tool potential. Even when he slumped, he was doing things for your team. Right. I mean, yeah, 19 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Remember, that's only 114 games. Next yeah. year, you should get about 40 more of those, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. 40 more games to do that. Like, this is a 20, 25, 25 kind of player, if not better. I ranked him 23rd. It's good to see the NFBC is like kind of similar in my mind, uh, ranking him up. I, I made this joke throughout the year doing my hitter list, which was Michael Harris only moves up. Mm. Right. At some point, I, I'm going to stop moving him up, but it hasn't happened yet. Every time I do a list, I have to bump it. Right, because he just keeps being this this really really high end player. Uh, they they do a fantastic job. I mean, I can't think of a team making more outfielders than he does. What I really want to see next year is uh, you know Dansby Swanson not currently on the team. If he's re-signed, I will be curious to see how they make that lineup. Because right now, if you go to like uh, roster resource on Fangraphs or something like that, you see Michael Harris slotted in batting second. That is an ideal situation for him because he'll be able to get RBI with Ronald Acuna Jr. on ahead of him. He'll be able to get a ton of runs scored with Austin Riley and Matt Olson and these guys behind him, right? That's exactly where I want him to be. And that's actually where they used to keep Ozzy Albies, right? But he slumped a lot last year coming back from injury. He may yep. not take that spot from him. And Michael Harris Jr., very importantly, is a lefty. Now, Ozzy Albies is a switch. It's the other one, one of the other reasons they like to have him near the top of the lineup. So they're not because it's a fairly right-handed heavy team. But Michael Harris being that left-handed guy, right, you know, hitting somewhere like, you know, two, three, four, probably more like two with the classic power hitters behind him. Love seeing that. It's really what I'm excited for with Michael Harris Jr. I rank him as the 23rd best hitter overall. The NFBC has him around 21. This is a guy who, you know, I've got him in the same tier as Mike Trout, Bobachet. Rafael Devers, Francisco Lindor, Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley. I I consider Michael Harris that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right there with you. Right there with you. Uh, one of the best uh, free agent moves I made 
in the TGFBI was picking up Michael Harris. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. So, uh, Vaughn Grissom, another uh, brave that made his debut, uh, second base and shortstop eligible. Uh, obviously, uh, took uh, Ozzy Albie's place as uh, Albie's was uh, hurt for a chunk of the season and uh, played 41 games, five home runs, 18 RBI, 291 batting average with a 792 OPS. Now, uh, you know, it depends, I guess, uh, if uh, the Braves end up signing Dansby Swanson, but I was doing some reading and um, he was taking some uh, pop-ups and they're thinking maybe that if they do sign Swanson, he could be playing some some left field for them. Um, and, and just an FYI, another guy that, I, that I, I noticed that the Braves are pretty high on. And when the Braves are pretty high on someone and uh, someone's in their minor league system, you, you take notice. Keep an eye on this guy, Justin Henry Malloy. Came up as a third baseman, but obviously with Austin Riley, you know, he's not going to be playing third base, you know, unless there's a an injury to, to Riley or whatnot. But uh, he's another guy that could come up. They've moved him over to left field as well. So keep an eye out for Justin, J-U-S-T-Y-N dash Henry, last name Malloy, M-A-L-L-O-Y. But back to Grissom, uh, going to be interesting to see uh, what the Braves do uh, in building their roster this offseason. Yeah, and I'm surprised he's being taken so early. Not just because of like the the Dansby Swanson question marks. Like, yeah, I guess he could go in left field, but they also have, I mean, Marcelo Zuna is not a guy I'm necessarily rooting for, but he is another player on contract who eats up spots in their lineup. They mm-hmm. could kind of use that power anyway. So Vaughn Grissom, number one, I think if he makes a lineup, he's probably batting at the end of it, right? Like the very bottom, ninth, eighth, something like that. The second thing is, Rolling charts are great because what they show you is that he started real hot and then he really cooled off mm. uh, a- as he went on. He became more and more average. The strikeout rate, uh, you know, climbed in ways that you don't really want to see. Right. Uh, it, it went, you know, at one point it was down at like 11% on a 15 game average. By the end of the season, it's like 30%. His Woba is dropping at the same time. Uh, not, not quite the trends I want to see. Now, granted, again, this is a very short sample. And it didn't really give him time to make a lot of adjustments, but it did give time for pitchers to adjust to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he started out obviously crazy hot, but his numbers are still carrying a lot. Like his year end numbers are carrying a lot of his, like, you know, his first 15 games are really right. weighing heavy mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, the second half of his season where he had a hard time keeping a Woba above 300, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a Woba below 300, just for reference, is not really fantasy relevant unless you're stealing a boatload of bases. Right. Right. Because it just means you're not making quality, a lot of quality contact. So uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about Vaughn because I'm worried about him for two things. He actually didn't even make my top 200 hitters. That's probably a little aggressive. And as his situation clarifies, he'll probably move up, but it's going to be hard for him to really get out of that bottom tier for me until I'm not worrying about two things at the same time, which is role and production. I hate when I have to worry about both. I really push guys down because I'm like, I don't need that kind of stress in my life. Right, right. I got twins coming, man. Like, I don't need (laughs) need to worry about all this. (laughs) April, right? Right, right uh, for opening day, right in time. Yeah, right uh, when I'm going to have to care about this again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we really can't um, talk about elite Braves uh, second year players for the 23. 2023 season without at least mentioning Spencer Strider. I know this is a, a hit centric podcast for the most part, but 
man, you look at what Strider did, uh, 11 and 5, started out in the bullpen, then moved over into the starting rotation. 202 strikeouts, Scott, in 131.2 innings. Going to be the third starter in an extremely strong rotation. I guess ADP of 37, min-max of 22 and 66. I guess, you know, we could talk about just like strategy-wise, and it's maybe too soon to to talk about this, whether we're going to be waiting uh, on starting pitching or, you know, when we're going to start to attack it. But um, I love guys like this that, you know, did well in their uh, maiden voyage in the in, in the big leagues, like uh, George Kirby, you know, uh, Alec Manoa, you know, had a really good second season, and I rostered him and a couple of uh, of teams. So a guy like Spencer Strider and George Kirby, I like these guys. So Strider is obviously the cream of the rookie pitcher crop, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that the consistency he had in his rookie year is what blows me away. Right. So mm-hmm. we were just talking about a guy like Von Grisham who it starts out explodes and everything kind of tapers off. His is the opposite. You look right. at him he actually, he starts out a little rough and then he does nothing but get better. Right. You look at the rolling charts, which of course I'm going to talk about rolling charts. I don't have it. It's not a lot of real baseball on. So I get, I can just watch these charts move, but mm-hmm. you got Spencer Strider starting in may his lowest 15 game rolling average. Right. Uh, for ERA, his his highest is 355, right? 355. Are you kidding me? The guy was just lights out, like mm-hmm. constantly. Now, the way it works with games on this is like sort of a little weird. But again, we're talking about a guy who never was hurting you. The, the worst 15 game rolling ERA he had since game three of his career, right? Actually, sorry, since game two of his career is 3.97. The guy couldn't touch four ERA if he wanted to, it seems like, right? He's Mm. that level of talent. And the strikeout rate actually continued to climb throughout the season, right? By the end, his 15-game rolling average is like 39%. You would think it would lower his strikeout rate. Exactly, right? Strider moving into uh, into the starting rotation. Yeah, and you you start to think that like, okay, well, you know, hitters are getting some more tape on him. It didn't matter if they had tape, Mm -hmm. right? They couldn't hit the guy. Have all the tape you want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you can have, again, it's sort of like the Jake DeGrom, like Jacob DeGrom problem of you can get all the tape you want on that 90 mile an hour, 95 mile an hour slider. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Watch it all you want. Try hitting it. Right. I mean, he, he hits his locations, his command, the consistency of his command is amazing. Cause a lot of times with those rookie pitchers, even young guys, like my dude, Tarek Skubal, right. The command Mm -hmm. comes in and out and that's when you see the problems happening. Right. You don't see like breaking balls, regressing all that much. Uh, what you do see is like command overall regresses and like maybe a pitch doesn't bite quite the way it does here and there, but it's the fastball command and command of all their pitches that really make them volatile. It's why a guy like Nick Pavetta is always someone that like teases you, but the mm-hmm. command is so in and out that you can never trust him. Strider's command was always there, right? It was never a worry of, oh, I hope he doesn't lose the fastball command. It was like, it was almost like he was a regular veteran. Like, oh, he doesn't. He doesn't lose it. Like, he's being he's being drafted alongside Aaron Nola. Now, again, part of that in these early drafts is people are really doing this NFBC thing of get your guys. Will I take Spencer Strider before Julio Urias? Probably not, but it's going to be close. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The ADP has yeah, a lot. If I like, miss I out probably, on Urias, you're definitely uh, going after a guy like a Strider. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, okay. So he's like a little bit behind Aaron Nola in terms of ADP by like two picks. And he's in front of like Julio Urias and Max Scherzer and Zach Wheeler. 
And he probably, to me, he deserves to be in that tier. I'll probably put him a little lower than that just because I'm very risk averse at pitching, right? I don't scout pitching as well as some other guys on this site or whatever, uh, pitcher list, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> so I have to be a little bit more conservative, especially when I'm playing against them, which is like half my leagues, but I, he's going to be up there simply because he did nothing but prove that he deserves to be a top pitcher, uh, across the board. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, let's move on to Jose Miranda, uh, Minnesota twin, played a lot of first base and third base, uh, really came into his own um, in his last 102 games, batted 289 with a 350 OBP and an 800 OPS. You and I had talked about him uh, in previous podcasts. We are just uh, wondering if he have an opportunity to find at bats and he did by the end of the season and the twins are going to be an interesting team to watch as they rebuild their roster for next season they were 78 and 84 uh you gotta wonder does carlos correa opt out um then you got alice kiriloff coming off a wrist surgery uh should be ready for spring training but is he going to be playing some first base some outfield um Miguel Sano, I'm thinking that they're going to walk away from him. Twins hold a $14 million club option. I don't see them taking it. But uh, Jose Miranda um, was a highly uh, regarded hitter in the minor leagues and, and really you know, came into his own uh, as the season wore on. Yeah. I mean, again, he's, he's a little bit hard to project. He was kind of a little up and down throughout the season. Um, we saw his, his strikeout rate really fluctuate, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially again, when you look at the rolling chart, it was, you know, at one point it's, it's as high as like 35% and then not a month later, it's down at like 6% for strikeout rate, like re- a lot of fluctuating. And what you're seeing there is a lot of adjustments being made. You're seeing pitchers make adjustments and he's coming back to make adjustments. And that's what I like to see, believe it or not, that fluctuation for a rookie like him to me often means like he's making adjustments. Pitchers are adjusting. He's adjusting. It doesn't always look pretty, but uh, it is something that players have to do as they grow in the game. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the power ceiling is quite yet, right? This is not, this is probably more of, I mean, his hit tool and his power were kind of more equal. This was like a top 100-ish prospect uh, for fantasy. He was probably just a little bit higher than that. So he's, you know, I, I just wonder what the final product will look like because on one hand, he could go sort of uh, Alec Bohm on us and sort of mm. forfeit the power and just get really good batting average, really good ratios. Or we could see him uh, sort of flex more towards the, you know, maybe I, I'll strike out a little more so I can be a little more aggressive and maybe hit a couple more home runs. It's really kind of hard to see where he'll be. I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the day, the final numbers look a lot like uh, maybe Jake Cronenworth kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Similar players in that they do have a lot of positional flexibility. Uh, they they do have, they have power, but you know, they're never going to hit 30 home runs. But 20, 25 in a good year, that's possible, right? So mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a really nice you know, back end. Like, I didn't feel great about the third baseman or first baseman I ended up with. I need that kind of protection on the back. Or my league uses a corner infield and I don't have one. And it's a little later in the draft. Jose Miranda should be floating around out there. Uh, and you should be able to scoop that up and, and have, you know, a good player there. Even if, you know, it's not like an outstanding even if I don't think he has the fantasy ceiling of like an outstanding player. I do right. think again, this could be a guy who hits 20 home runs, maybe like 150 combined runs and RBI with like, again, a, I, I could see him definitely going towards this very good batting average, low walk rate. 
So the OBP won't be good, but I think the batting average could definitely be something like 270, right? 275 even. Mm -hmm. I see that kind of player there. Again, not a lot of stolen bases, only a little bit of power, but he does enough across the board, right? Mm -hmm. He's like a four category guy, but not like a four stars in every category. It's like a good batting average, Mm -hmm. good RBI numbers. Good. I mean, like sort of good, not great across the board with no steals. That makes him a very useful player, but not one that, you know, he's going to be one that like you target on your draft board. Cause like every time I do a mock, I get screwed on corner infield. So I want Jose Miranda and I want him way back here. Right. I actually rank him higher than the NFBC does. Uh, and I have him just inside the top hundred. He probably settles closer to 100, uh, really both at, probably in ADP and in my ranks. But again, there's a very good player there. There's just some questions on, does he lean, you know, does he try to keep the power and just accept a few more strikeouts here and there? Or do we see him go the other way again? Like an Alec Bohm, who originally was more of a like we thought could be a power guy, uh, 20 to 25 home runs, and he just went all shit. Like he just shifted entirely to slap. Mm. Right. He's mm-hmm. like, Well, I'll just try to hit 300 then. If it's gonna be hard to hit 20 home runs, I'll just try to hit 300. And you know, he he, he can kind of do that. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. But I do think again, there's a very good player here, and that lineup should continue to grow. They got a lot of weird pieces to put together. Yeah. They have this like weirdly crowded lineup with very little star power. Uh, but you know, we'll kind of see how it all plays out. Yeah. And he's uh dual eligible, like I mentioned at first and third. So uh, just got two more players and we'll save the cream of the crop for last, but let's talk a little O'Neill cruise, uh, Pittsburgh pirate shortstop 11th shortstop being taken in NFBC drafts right now. Um, you know, I mean, overall, 35% K rate, had some issues hitting left-handed pitching, but, you know, ISO of 218, uh, max exit velocity in the 100 percentile range per uh, baseball savant, so that's pretty damn good. Um, and then that last month of the season, last 28 games, uh, stop swinging at stuff outside the strike zone, the, the zone swing rate dropped 6%, K rate uh, went down uh, by 11% in that last month of the season as Woba climbed by almost 100 points. So his last 28 games batted uh, 298 with a 370 ODP and a 914 OPS. So uh, people excited about him. And also just, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but interesting home away splits there, Scott, batted 194 away, 269 at home. Yeah, I wonder if that's like one of those human element comfort things. Yeah. So I, I wrote this in the top 200. I talked about it when I did the podcast two weeks ago. What what surprised me so much, he actually did a little bit of like a Vinny Pasquantino thing, two very strange players to compare to each other because mm. they have completely opposite approaches. O'Neill Cruz is the guy that's like, he's that guy in like high school or when you played like Little League who was the fastest runner, the hardest thrower and the best hitter. Right. Like he hit the, he could hit the ball the first, third, furthest. He could throw it the furthest. He could do everything more than everyone else. He does that in the major leagues. Mm. Right. He has like the hardest throw ever recorded. He has like one of the fastest or he has one of the hardest hits ever recorded. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he's that kind of superlative player. We thought he'd come into the season, be a 2020 guy and start from the beginning of the year. But the Pirates apparently wanted to try out a bunch of guys that you forgot were in the league before (laughs) they went to do that. Mm -hmm. So the thing with O'Neill Cruz is, number one, I was surprised at how close the NFBC and I were on ranking him. They I actually rank him one spot better than his ADP (laughs) or not his ADP, but I rank him one spot better. He was he was in as like the 47th hitter taken overall. 
and I have him as my 46th hitter. Uh, mm-hmm. What we're really different on is Stephen Kwan, who I rank right after him, who the NFBC thinks should go 40 picks later. They're wrong. They'll figure it out. It's fine. But uh, <laughs> O'Neill Cruz, what I really like is the last 10 games. You read those, you read those stats about, oh, yeah, the O swing got a lot better. The last 10 games really called out. It was last 10 games, as many walks as strikeouts. If you were following O'Neill Cruz during the season, that will blow your mind. This was yeah. a guy who was striking out 40% of the time, mm-hmm. right? And not just for like a week. He did it for like an extended period. He struck out a ton, right? Something clicks. Now the power comes down a little bit at that time because he's, you know, he is, he has to take a little off to control that bat a little more, right? When you swing it that hard, you can't hold up halfway. Mm-hmm. Right. So it did hurt his power. I think that's going to come back. I think we're going to see a lot. Of, he's going to be this high volatility player, but by the end of the next season, I do think he could be a 20 home run, 20 stolen base, if not better, especially on the home run side. And I think the average is going to fluctuate a lot, but it could end around 260. Right. I think he's got, I mean, he's got that kind of hit tool and just to even again, 10 games is a tiny sample. It's like 40 something played appearances, but just to see him be capable for even 10 games of I'll walk as much as I strike out because pitchers are no longer giving me good pitches to hit in the zone, right? Because they know I was swinging everything to make that adjustment is a big deal, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, it's, it's a little harder to project, you know, with, with Vinny Pasquantino, I know how the rest is going to be uh, because he showed that great dis- plate discipline all year and O'Neill Cruz absolutely did not, but I don't need him to be a Vinny Pasquantino in terms of uh, his plate discipline. Right? That's not what I need from O'Neill Cruz. I need O'Neill Cruz going up there, swinging the bat as hard as he can, hitting 120 mile an hour line drives that outfielders think is going to kill him. Right? We're like, you got to wear helm. They, they're going to need to put nets up in the outfield the way this guy can hit. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's electric. Right? He's the only reason. Like, PNC Park is a really nice park. He's the only other reason to go right now <laughs> there's not a lot going on in pittsburgh so and i make fun of you know i work for a company that's based in pittsburgh i work for a bank pnc my boss is a big like pirates fan which is a very hard thing to be because it's been a very miserable team to watch for quite for a while so long yeah. uh, and this team that was always like never never bought in enough to be great and then didn't sell well enough to have mm. a bright future kind of thing yeah just watch but, uh, all their uh, great players get traded away and and have you know great seasons for other teams oh yeah Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass. Yeah. Now they're all pirates, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. But they held on to Gregory Polanco for most of a decade. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> uh, O'Neill Cruz is just that, like that kind of talent. Projections are going to have a hard time with him because he, like in those 10 games that I was just talking about, he also stole four bases because he kept getting on first base. He stole mm-hmm. four bases in 10 games. He's that kind of player. He'll win you in, in these weekly head to head leagues. He'll win you a whole week. He might make it very hard to win the next week, but he'll have mm-hmm. a week where he hits two home runs, steals four bases and scores like eight runs, right? Like yeah. he's going to have those kind of weeks. Cause he's that kind of player. The yeah. ceiling of O'Neill Cruz, the projections can't tell you ceiling and floor at the same time. They kind of have to mash them together, but like the mid max uh, of his ADP is going to help you kind of understand this is an incredibly high ceiling player. Can he right? be the next Fernando Tatis jr? I mean, in terms of, can he run as fast, throw as hard, play as good a defense. He's a six foot seven shortstop, Joe. He can yeah, do yeah. whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> he can do it all. Like, could he be, I, I mean, I don't think his hit tool is ever going to be quite what Tatis has, who mm-hmm. Tatis can strike out 28% of his time and still hit 300 mm-hmm. because anything he gets his bat on, he'll crush. And I think O'Neill Cruz just doesn't quite make his, make enough contact to be that kind of player. But could he be something like that? Sure. 
right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think he could be Adolis Garcia a lot longer than Od- than Adolis Garcia can be Adolis Garcia, mm. right? This 25 plus yeah, home run, 25, 20 to 25 stolen bases and mm-hmm. a good batting average. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of strikeouts. The OBP won't be great. But that to me is a guy who I think he can be peak Adolis Garcia for multiple years, mm. right? Not for like two or three. I think he can do that for half a decade. Just have the Pirates get out of his way and let him develop and just, you know, I mean, stop the nonsense. Let him right? play, mm-hmm. right? You don't need to see any more of like the like the who's who of 26th men in baseball mm-hmm. taking the play, playing middle <laughs> infield for that. Put right. in O'Neill Cruz for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. So uh, why don't we end this podcast with the cream of the crop? We don't really have to spend a lot of time on him because throughout many of our previous episodes we've spoken about julio rodriguez outfielder for the seattle mariners and uh, almost certainly the al rookie of the year had 28 home runs 25 stolen bases 284 batting average and 853 ops uh you look at his sprint speed percentile 97 uh hard hit percentile 95 max exit velocity 98 i mean this guy's just got it all five two player uh going to be a great player for a long time yeah let, let me get the wet blanket stuff out of the way first the stolen bases are really front loaded he mm. steals a lot of bases as he sort of struggles early on uh you know he's striking out a bit more as he first comes in the league he's using his legs to just try to get whatever he can get get those successes right if he got on first he's like well i need to get to second but then he started hitting to second right he, then he starts hitting doubles and home runs yeah so 25 doubles bases. yeah so it's kind of hard to project the stolen bases going forward. They're very situational. And they kind of don't need him to do it as much, right? Especially if the rest of the lineup can do well. Um, I mean, he's obviously, he's the number two hitter going off the board right now. I rank him five because I think Kyle Tucker is, uh, I, I rank him just behind Kyle Tucker, right? Mm-hmm. The top three for me were Turner, Jose Ramirez and Aaron judge. And then it's almost like a mini tier within the first year. But then it was Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, Jordan Alvarez, Ronald Acuna Jr. That's obviously means I think very highly of Julio Rodriguez. And I also think the front of these drafts is a lot deeper than we've sort of been used to, where there was an obvious number one pick, which will probably be Trey Turner most of the time. But picking in the middle of the first round is no longer this weird thing where you're like, oh, I'm not getting quite as good of a player. Like anyone I rank in the top seven. Right, the Turner, Ramirez, Judge, Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, Jordan Alvarez, Ronald Cunha Jr. Any one of them could end the season as the best hitter. Right, mm-hmm. like, there's a reason I sort of draw a line there. Is like these guys really could be the number one hitter in baseball yet next year, and I don't have to do a lot of like dreaming to make that happen. Mm. Right, it would not be a shock for any of them. I really like Kyle. Like I'm using this a little bit to just talk about the reason I rank Julio Rodriguez behind Kyle Tucker is because I would consider a good season for Julio Rodriguez the things that Kyle Tucker's been doing for the last two seasons. Right. So, <laughs> and Tucker's on a better team. Now the offense in, in Seattle is getting a lot better. Uh, Jared Kalanick showed some life at the end of last season. He might finally be able to be the type of player we hoped for them. Uh, they won't need Ty France hitting third and they can put him more appropriately at five or six, right? They could really see some, you know, that lineup get a lot better on the top end. But yeah, I mean, I compare him right now to Kyle Tucker. Cause I think that's the kind of player he is mm-hmm. right with maybe better batting average. Right? I could definitely see that happening. So Obviously, he's a top five player. I have no, I don't really have an issue if you take him first, especially if you're a Mariners fan. It's okay to let your heart come in, especially when there are good justifications to do that, mm. right? Like, uh, he really could be that. Uh, he did have like a little bit of an injury he had to miss some time for, come back from. You could absolutely project him as a top three player. If you have to have him and you're the first overall pick, that's the only way you're getting him. 
Right, right? right. It's the only way, unless you trade that pick, which is very hard to do. So I really like, but again, it's the stolen bases that have me wondering about the top end. Yeah. I think it could be a lot. It, it's a lot harder for me, I think, than some of the folks in NFBC to see the path to 25 stolen bases. Right. Right. So he has 30 stolen base talent, but I'm not sure he's going to get 30 stolen base opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, I know you have to curl, so we're going to end this episode. But Kyle Tucker, seventh overall um, in ADP, according to NFBC, if by chance Julio Rodriguez drops and you have an opportunity to pick either Rodriguez or Tucker, who are you going with? It is Tucker for me, and I, I'm willing to accept the minority. Uh, I mean, Tucker's my number four hitter. Yeah, I know uh, you always high on be, him, yeah. yeah I, I, he'd probably be my number four player, mm-hmm. right? Other than show, I mean, the one thing about my hitter rankings is I only consider Shohei Atani a hitter mm-hmm. for my rankings. I'm not factoring in the pitcher thing, because if you're in an ESPN league where he can be both, or a Fantrax league where he can be both, He's the number one pick overall to me by a mile mm-hmm. right now. The NFBC is a weekly format. So Otani becomes harder to use as a pitcher because you lose the hitting stats for that week. Mm-hmm. Right. But otherwise you only lose hitting stats for a game when you plop him into your pitcher spot. So he's number one overall to me by a wide margin. But after that, uh, you know, Kyle Tucker, I- I'm a huge fan. I think I almost wonder if people think he's boring or something. Because the guy just continues to be like one of the best hitters in the league, especially for fantasy. He's consistent all season long. Uh, the batting average was down just a mm-hmm. little bit, but he's another That's type of player points. who will see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, we're not talking about as much, but he is a left-handed hitter. He doesn't hit a ton of ground balls, but the shift will help him. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, again, he doesn't hit a ton of ground balls. He's really good at putting the ball in the air, but he's the type of player who could see a little bit of a batting average boost from the shift. And like when I say his batting average is down, it's because I, I do think he's better than a 257 hitter. Right. right, I think he's more of like a two seventy five oh, yeah. plus hitter, and again, two straight seasons with thirty home runs, and this season he had twenty five stolen bases and one hundred and seven RBI, and mm-hmm. the plate discipline's fantastic. Right, walks nearly ten percent of the time, strikeout rate fifteen point six percent. It went down again, which it has basically every year of his career. Mm-hmm. And then right. again, in the and in the playoffs, he's making you know he's making the big plays when they matter, right? Like I mean, this is he's in one hundred and fifty nine combined games. It's now thirty three home runs, twenty six stolen bases and 112 RBI in 159 mm-hmm. games. I mean, this, this, I mean, I can't say enough about Kyle Tucker mm-hmm. ever since I saw him. I think when I first started really watching him back in like 2020, I watched some of those games with a, with a buddy where we like had an outdoor TV cause it was middle of COVID and all that. And I was just like, man, this kid fights through every at bat, every at bat against Kyle Tucker is a tough one. He, mm-hmm. There are no free ones. You love seeing that with a player who was going into like his first full season. And ever since then, he's been every bit the guy I thought he could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the run scored will go up a little bit. It's weird. He only had 71 in 150 games with the power of the Astros lineup. I think that goes right. up. I think the RBI, he's going to continue to be a hundred RBI guy. I just have to do less projecting with him because mm-hmm. if you told me like a great season for Julio Rodriguez next year is 30 home runs and 25 stolen bases. Is it not the thing Kyle Tucker just did? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so it's hard for me to say, oh, I mean, again, I think Julio Rodriguez has tools that are better than Kyle Tucker, but having the tool and then being able to use it at the major league level for 150 games is hard. Kyle Tucker, two straight 30 home run seasons. What more do I want from the guy? Right. Mm-hmm. And he continues to get better in a lot of ways. Right. The batting average was down, but like stealing more bases, he drove, like drives in more, like he's doing everything I want him to do. So to me, it's him. But again, like if someone said, I'd rather have Julio, I go, yeah, I know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Well, I'm I that guy. I'm that guy. Uh, and I'd have to do it. You know, I, get, I mean, I, I like Tucker. Don't get me wrong. And and um, yeah. Once we're done, I'm going to take a look at both of their uh, their numbers. But I mean, I, I can't really say anything too harsh about Tucker because I, I'm looking at what he's done. Like you mentioned, two straight seasons, thirty home runs. But for me, I just think that Julio Rodriguez has a better opportunity to hit for a higher average more consistently. But look. You know, like you said, he's only done it for one season. So uh, the first two, the first two rounds of your drafts in these ten and twelve team leagues are just ridiculously deep. Yeah, yeah, they're so deep, and that like not even even if no pitcher was drafted, mm-hmm. right? Manny Machado probably doesn't get taken in your first round. Bryce mm-hmm. Harper is maybe that he's my twelfth hitter, and someone mm-hmm. else might have him like around eight or something. But like Bryce Harper is going to go at the back end of your first round. In I mean, yeah, some of it's injury stuff, but like. Juan Soto is not going to be a first round player, hmm. right? Uh, Boba Chet is going to have a hard time being a first round player. You think Juan Soto like, drops that- 40 home runs and he's probably going to go in the late second round because yeah. of pitchers, right? Like this, the draft is so deep at the top this year. You that- think Juan Soto isn't a first round uh, pick, but I mean, I, you know, I was burned by him this season. So, I mean, recency bias would, you know, cause me to stay away a little bit, but you don't think he's a first round pick? I think you could see drafts where he's in the second round, especially like a 12 teamer on Yahoo, where you only have three outfield spots In Mm -hmm. the NFBC, you got to fill five in a 15 team league, but Juan Soto's outfield only eligibility almost hurts him a little bit in Mm -hmm. Yahoo. So you could see him push down a little bit, especially is it that hard to talk yourself into Mookie bets next? Just especially if you need steals, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're focusing on steals or, you know, I think it's a very hard decision between Jordan Alvarez and Juan Soto. Right, because the yeah. final numbers look really similar. Now, in an OBP league, Juan Soto is not his first rounder. But let's be real; this was not. I mean, it was not a good second half for right. Juan Soto. He yeah. walked. He, he did never not really hit. snapped out of it. Yeah, he never no. really snapped out of that slump. So mm-hmm. we, I mean, you know, and you still got Vlad Guerrero Jr. to think about. You've got Freddie Freeman to think about. You've got Pete mm-hmm. Alonso to think. I mean, th- these the first two rounds of hitters are so so deep yeah. that like we we're talking about Kyle Tucker and Julio Rodriguez as like 30 home run 20 stolen base guys and we're like yeah they're not the top of the first round right like are you kidding me imagine playing in a league where you're starting five outfielders and you have let's say 11th or 12th pick or whatnot and being able to your first two picks uh, Jordan Alvarez and Bryce Harper could you imagine <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, oh no! I mean, I've got a, I've got like, some injury risk I'll have to deal with, yeah, but like, like I also have like runs and, I've got you know. sixty home runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrapped up. I mean, again, it's so so deep. I'm like, you're going to be like, I guess I'll be the one to take the plunge on Juan Soto, <laughs> right? Like, that's wild to me. Yeah. Like, there will be real drafts where he slips for good reasons, right? Because someone's like, I'm really prioritizing third base and not outfield, so maybe I'm looking at Manny Machado. I'm really prioritizing. Yeah first base and instead of Juan Soto, I am going to take, you know, Freddie Freeman slipped a little bit, yeah. right? Like you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. It's so like, that's going to be the real news. I think uh, my, my top again, Michael Harris is in the bottom of the third tier 23rd. And he's a guy I'm like, Oh, that's 25, 25. Yeah. Right. You just yeah. get, he got better all year. And right. No Arenado with his millionth consecutive season of a hundred RBI. And I'm like, ah, he's like 21st. Mm-hmm, on my hitter mm-hmm. rankings, like, come on, it's so deep at the top right now. And again, yeah. it's always rosy when you're far away and nobody's gotten hurt yet or anything like yeah. that. But holy cow, this is a deep, deep class at the top in hitting. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to make the middle feel really weird. 
Yeah. This conversation makes me just want to like end the podcast and go draft, right? So, all right. So, listen, you've got to you've got to get going. You've got some curling to do. Uh so thanks for hanging out, Scott, and uh, that slams the lid on things for today just to let you know uh during this off season, um we're going to be doing a podcast every other week. So, subscribe to the podcast and you'll get notified anytime a new episode drops. Uh, follow Scott at If the Chew Fits. Follow me at Joe Galena. And uh, as always, just hoping that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. 